You are listening to a live message from Gold Street Garden Church with Dr. Dominic Butler. We are thrilled to have you join us for today's message. Our prayer is that you would see Jesus clearer than ever before and your desire to know him personally would increase in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about the church, you can go to goldstreetgarden.com. Lord, we thank you this morning that the Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts and that we would just come to such a, a greater revelation of Jesus. We're not here for new revelation. We're here for greater revelation of him. Father, we thank you that revelation is just pulling, pulling the veil back. It's pulling off what we have failed to see. And Lord, this morning, I just thank you that it's not my words as a intellectual it is not my words of study, but Lord, Father, I thank you that the anointing, which is the very presence of Jesus, would be on every word that I say, and it would enter hearts. And Lord, I thank you that today we would take great self-inventory, and we would allow you to do what only you can do. Take that sword of the word and perform heart surgery in us this morning. We love you, Lord. If you know, if right before we get any further, if you know how to pray in the spirit, please pray in the spirit. If you, if you do not know the Holy Spirit in the way of praying in the spirit and just praying, I uh, there's nothing hoodwink about it that you can ask the the Lord right now. Ask God, can I pray in this this heavenly language? And the reason we pray in this language is because. We can pray things that we can't totally understand, but we pray from our heart. You know, this morning, I think what's going to happen is, uh, <laughs> is uh, it's just going to be one of those mornings where there's gr there's great excitement, but at the same time, there's a sobering word that has to go forward. And I think the thing that's so beautiful is if you when you read the scriptures and you truly see things, you'll see how Jesus that the the children would run to Jesus. They would literally run to Jesus, not run away crying. But they would run to Jesus. And when they run to Jesus, the reason is Jesus could give these words of great sobering, but he always was joyful. He was always at a place of joy. And I wanted to just share something that was in my heart with worship before I get to the word. But, you know, even my daughter, when she came up and she was just worshiping with me, you know, we worship at the house a lot. But, you know, one of the things that if you if you're familiar in Luke chapter four, in Luke chapter four, there is a there's a story about when Jesus, as soon as he gets baptized, he goes into the wilderness and when he goes in the wilderness, he gets tempted. And one of the things that the, the devil tempted Jesus with, just check this out. And, we you know, I'm, I'll, we have some other passages we need to go to, but I just wanted I know a lot of people in the room would be familiar with this passage, but it's the fact that when the when the devil tempted Jesus, one of the things is he said, bow down to me. 
okay, now bow down to me. Now, why would the devil want Jesus to bow down to him? Like, it doesn't even matter about what was going on. There was something that Jesus wanted or something the devil wanted Jesus to do. And he wanted Jesus to express, express worship. He wanted, he, you see, that's the thing is Satan was a worship leader in heaven, Lucifer. You can read about it in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, it takes these passages where the prophet is speaking to a king, Tyre. But he's speaking to this king, and it is actually Lucifer, and it's the spirit that's behind the king that that the prophet is speaking to. And one of the things you'll find out about Lucifer is that he was very beautiful, extremely beautiful. Do you know how mad the devil gets when you say Jesus is beautiful? Because he's he was made beautiful. He wants the attention. He wants these things. It, it makes him so mad. That that's why he got, you know, and the thing is about Lucifer that we have to understand is, you know what he said? If you read Isaiah and the passages, Isaiah 14 is when it says, but there's these, these I will statements. And it's when Lucifer says, I will ascend into the highest heaven. I will do these things. And you know what it all has to do with is I will be exalted. I will be these things. And you know what's so powerful is what did Jesus do when he came to the earth? He said, I must be lifted up. And, the, and Lucifer thought that being lifted up, being exalted would make everybody see him. And Jesus came to show us what it, the price that it takes to be the, the most exalted. And his idea of being lifted up was being lifted up on a cross for, for all of us. That the iniquity that was found in Lucifer, it said that he fell from heaven. So he's talking about being exalted. And like a flash of lightning. Do you understand how little tolerance God has for sin? We're talking lightning. Did you know most of us don't even see lightning until it's already went? Correct? It's already like we, at, and that's the thing is that soon as iniquity was found in him, bam. And in today's culture, I, I, I like what a minister said. He says that, you know, for some reason in today's culture, we think that, just because God sent Jesus, that God's mellowed out on sin, that it's not a big deal to him anymore. And I want you to know that sin is not a, that God has taken care of sin. But the thing is, is that if we don't truly understand the price that was paid for it, we are very easily to get entangled with it again. And we have to ask ourselves, why is the world in the state that it is? Why is our country in the the state that it is. And when I was thinking about all these things this morning, I was thinking that I want to challenge you all to be expressive in your worship because that's what the devil wanted from Jesus. He wanted Jesus to express worship. And a lot of times when we have a moment to express worship, we get in our heads and we're like, well, it might not be the place. And I know that, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here because I know a lot of people are expressive, but if you are not, I want to challenge you for the next generation and the generation that we would be, if Jesus tarries, that we would be a people that expresses our love for God in such a way, in our, in our, in our financial decisions, in, in the way that we raise our hands, in the way that whatever we do, we express in our relationships. That's why so many marriages struggle is because it's not worship unto God. It's am I right? Right? And we have to understand that when we treat things as worship unto God, then no longer is it about us being exalted. 
because he has zero tolerance for it. And I just want us to know that there's a great price in following Jesus. And I even want to go just a step further and just understanding that in the, in the culture we're living in, we live in a world full. It, it's a world. The world is a prison of distractions. The world is a prison of distractions, but the kingdom of heaven only has one attraction and his name is Jesus. Do you understand that? That in heaven, all the angels, they just keep singing the same song over and over again and they just keep loving on him. In heaven, Jesus is in the middle of heaven and everybody just adores him. Even when he comes back, it's all about uh, the bride meeting him. If if we if Jesus is not enough, and I want and the thing that I want you to understand is even in American culture right now, like I understand that you know the the politics behind things, and even I even understand. And you'll hear me where I'm going with this, but just please hear my heart. I'm not trying to get into a political thing. It's the fact that so many times we're even as Americans like about our rights, and and I want everybody to know that. We do have a constitution, and as Americans, that's what it's founded on. But I'm here to tell you that when you read the scriptures, that Paul was stripped of every right, placed in prison, but it had nothing to do with his rights, as it had everything to do with writing letters to state that. And why would Paul do that? Because he didn't want any political agenda, he didn't want anything to replace his affection for Jesus. We talked about it before, even when he was in prison, even when he was in prison with Silas, they didn't say, Lord, deliver us because we were wrongfully prisoned. They worshiped and they got delivered. But there did come a day where Paul was not delivered. He was martyred. But because of his martyrdom, we're all in here today celebrating for the books that he wrote for the letters that he wrote. And it was because he refused. He said that I press on for one thing. And what did he say? This high calling. What is the high calling? Meeting him in the air. Everything I do is for this one reason. I have no other purpose in life. And I I, I believe that people of Gold Street Garden know, and I know that even other people here go to churches where there's word being taught in such great profound ways. But I want everybody here to know that if anything we need to realize more than ever is every day is prep. It's prep day, preparation. What am I doing? I, I, one of the things we even said this week talking about the Holy Spirit on live stream was if the day goes by, if a whole day goes by and you made zero adjustments in your life, you're ignoring God. Period. Like, do you think, do you think there's a freebie day where you just get to vent and do whatever you want and then I'll just make up for it the next day? God's grace. God, and like, that's fine. That's fine, but I'm telling you that there is a there is a high calling. And I really think that ministers have really held back from the truth to just keep, and we, we know this, but just to keep people engaged or to keep people wanting to come back. But I'm here to tell you, uh, last night I had my friend on, if you watch it with Isaac, I said at the beginning, but I loved what he said. He said that the world wants to hear repentance. They want to hear, but instead... The church sometimes gives a candy-coated gospel thinking that's what they want to hear. But Oprah and Dr. Phil do that just fine. They tell people you're accepted. They tell people you were born with a purpose. The world says that. That's not the gospel. 
The gospel is your, that you were born with a sin nature inside of you and you are on your way to hell and that there is a a man who came and he died for your sin and i know you're going to try to be like well that doesn't make sense well that doesn't make well um, that's the thing is that the anointing is on this word it's not about how well you can preach it theologically it's the fact that that's why i love to get down to the nitty-gritty about everything what with everything going on in the world it just has to reveal are my eyes still on him? Do I still love him the way I did yesterday? Or do I love researching what's going on in the world and call it ministry? Sitting at his feet is the one good thing. Now, am I saying, I, I'm not in no way saying, I, the way that the Lord's been dealing with me, you can be informed, but do not be influenced. You can get informed. But I'm here to tell you that the devil loves when you worship anything other than him, other than Jesus. Because if you worship anything other than Jesus, you're worshiping Satan. There's a word. If you worship anything other than Jesus, you're worshiping Satan. Doesn't matter if it's your family member. Doesn't matter if it's TV. Doesn't matter if it's just the news. It's something that, and the biggest thing that I, I feel people worship is they worship their own personal comfort. And really, that's that's really the thing that it is. is it? And the reason they do is because I feel like people find more scriptures to, to accommodate the choices they make instead of getting on their face and letting the word speak to them. And that's why today's message on a Resurrection Sunday, I want to talk to you about Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> is that all right? You guys, you guys, you guys are, yes, we're going to give some people walking out. Now I'm just, he's, he's going, <laughs> he's, <laughs> that was a good cue. That was a good cue. Hey, no, I get it, man. <laughs> but the thing is, is the Lord, and the reason that I want to teach on this is that this is obviously, I was not planning on teaching on this. A few nights ago, the Lord, awoke me to something and I haven't really shared it with I haven't even had a chance to share it with uh, my wife yet and I usually share all these things we've been talking about so many good things and the Lord had something bubbling on my heart uh, with this passage but if everybody before we go to Genesis if everyone could turn to Luke 14 and I'll show you how I got there Jesus we just I just want everybody to understand how how amazing he is you know what you know what i'm saying like i i I keep trying to express this the best way that i can how the lord that my heart keeps getting shifted and shifted to a place where it is all him like i'm you know you know what i'm like i'm getting to a place where when i read about paul and i when i read about the price that was paid like you know do you see that there is you have to there is one thing we have to ask ourselves sometimes when we're reading the bible the old testament you see a lot of men of god that were you know like david and solomon you see these men that rose to great stature with you know they still had a lot of turmoil and things like that but the thing about the new testament that's so crazy and it's because of jesus i want you to see that when these apostles and even paul did you know paul was the only apostle that own that never met the the flesh jesus he only met the resurrected jesus 
you know, Paul was the only apostle that only met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, you know, Paul wrote two thirds of the, the New Testament. And, you know, we'll get to a couple of his passages too. Uh, but the thing is, is that with him, with, with these disciples is that there was just no price that was too great for them to lay down for Jesus. But it wasn't because of, it was always, like even the gospel Paul preached, he said, this gospel is Jesus Christ. He said, this is literally the gospel of Jesus. So his word, the words that the Lord gave him were inseparable from him. That's why this word is so important. And we need to be in this Bible like never before. And you know, some of us, you know, it's very obvious that, you know, you get around some people in church and they love Jesus, but they have no word foundation. And you can see all the, you know, and Here's the thing is in the spiritual realm, if you start, if you, if you don't, if you're not based on the word and you start messing around with the spiritual realm, the devil can make himself very beautiful to you. And we're not even talking about like people watching TV. We're talking about people that are in church with no word. Uh, but the leadership can protect that because, you know, Jesus was in churches where he had to rebuke demons out, right? Right. He would just in the middle of service, he'd be like, shut up and come out wasn't a big deal. Jesus didn't have to perform an exorcist. He didn't have to say, you know, let's hold him upside down and then, you know, sprinkle him with holy water. It w- that's the thing is that remember when the disciples came to Jesus and they, and the 70 disciples went out and Jesus sent them out and they weren't even filled with the Holy Ghost. They weren't even filled with the Holy Ghost casting demons out and healing the sick. I don't know if you thought about that before, but they they didn't even have the Holy Ghost and they were able to do it because that's how powerful a command of the Lord is. Jesus sent them out and the command of the Lord empowered them to do these things. But what did they all run back and say? What was their main reason they were excited? We can cast out devils in your name. And what did Jesus say? Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Jesus was saying devil's not a big deal. That was what he was saying. He's like, let's not even like, don't rejoice. It's a joker. (laughs) Like he's like really making it. It's not a like the thing that you should be rejoicing over is that your name is written in the book of life. So what does Jesus always bring it back to? Eternity. What does American church bring things to a lot? Temporary. And since and when you preach temporary messages, people always make temporary decisions. They never make eternal decisions. Everything they base is, well, well, this will only happen for a little bit. See, I don't even have to say things, and you know what I'm saying. See what I'm saying? It's like we eternity has to be the filter we prioritize our life with. That's what Jesus always brought it back to. One thing before we read is Jesus, just think about this. Jesus, like when you think about the cross, and I know a lot of us are probably familiar with this with certain people we follow or hearing it over the years. But the fact that it was three days, I know there's so many symbolic natures in the Bible with the number three. But it's just so amazing that the greatest part of Jesus's victory could not be seen in the natural. Like we, the cross is the natural part of it. We see the cross. We see the torment he went. But the greatest part of the victory could not be seen with the natural eye. He had to die. He, had, he went to the pit of hell and he... And he got the keys and he's doing all this while, and you have to understand that it's like the cross represents this life. And then the, the day two represents what you're going to do with carrying your cross. And then the resurrection comes. 
And it's like just understanding what you do in the waiting is actually the most powerful part of the whole thing. That's why the war is up here. And, and the devil knows that. And he he wants to infiltrate your heart by putting thoughts in your high mind, getting you so distracted. And sometimes we we just call we call certain research and we call like listening to a whole bunch of things like I just want to, you know, I just got to find these things out. And we don't realize how quickly our hearts just are saying and I'm sharing from personal experience that the Lord has just dealt with me when all this stuff is going on. I'm, and this is just me, and I hope it ministers, but I'm really at a place where I really, I actually don't care what's going on first and foremost, because I have to, when everything's going crazy, if I notice my heart is leaving, being fixed on Him, I'm noticing that the affairs of life are becoming more appetizing. I'm becoming more captivated by what does this person think about this? What does this person think about this? And I'm just not like, because what? Remember Peter? Remember when Pete? When Jesus gives his Oscar award-winning sermon on cannibalism, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He's, you know, how many people he said that to? We, we, it could have been fifteen thousand people because it was five thousand men plus their, you know, if you have that many people preach a message on, you know prosperity right Pre and jesus didn't even have to preach on prosperity he just made prosperity happen here's the loaves here's the fish keep distributing it but here's the thing is that what happened was he has all these people and he preaches on eat my flesh drink my blood why because i need to be in you and i need to be the substance of your life, your being, everything you are, that you live by, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is the word made flesh. His body was flesh for us to eat. It's all these things. But then what does Peter say at the end? Even when we, he's, even when Jesus says this whole sermon that makes no sense in the natural, Peter says, Jesus looks to his disciples and says, are you guys going to leave too? Because the whole 15,000 crew, they all left after this word. Should we realize that the gospel is offensive and that there are going to be people that do not want to hear this message? Like, do you think Jesus was crucified because everybody liked him? Was Jesus put on a cross because everybody's like, man, this guy is great. Let's kill him. I just love everything he says. You know what I'm like? What, what is wrong? Something is wrong here. And what did Peter say? He said, when Jesus says, are you going to leave too? Peter says, where else will we go? You hold the words to eternal life. What is Peter saying? I might not understand everything, but when you speak, I come alive. When you speak, I come alive. I have to be like, I, I'm not going to listen to all this other stuff because that doesn't even make sense. If we all went around the room and gave an angle of angle on what's going on in the world, none of us would agree. But we can agree on this. Jesus is coming back and we need to prepare for it. And I, I really doubt that Jesus is going to ask you what were your thoughts on COVID-19 when you stand before him. I don't think it's going to be relevant. Just food for thought. I mean, but Luke 14, let's read this and then happy resurrection day, everybody. <laughs> He's alive, so you shouldn't be, right? 
and I mean that your old man, that we let him live through us. Whatever you refuse, and whatever you refuse to give to God, you give the devil access to. Whatever you refuse to give to God, you give the devil access to, including your own life. Right? So if you refuse to give him certain things, you give the devil access to it. That's not God making something happen. That's you enabling the enemy. But Luke 14, and I just want to break this down for you all. And then I, I just, let's live this thing. Amen. Can we just live this thing? I, I, I just want to be, I want to, I just want to be sold out for him every day. And I, it's, it's a daily process. And I want to show you this so we can all be humbled and be more enamored by him. But in Luke 14, verse 25, it says, now great multitudes went with him. How, so how many people were following Jesus on a regular basis? Jesus wasn't just having like a little, he didn't have like just a little church club in his basement. Like he had, he had multitudes following him. And he turned to them and said, so once again, when Jesus has a whole crowd of people, should we be listening to the things that he's saying? Do you think we, as ministers, even in the room, or when you become ministers or have more, inf we're all ministers of the gospel, but I'm talking about just having influence when you're speaking to people's lives. When Jesus speaks to people, has a captivated audience, let's look at some of the things he says. He has a big audience right now. So let's talk, to, let's see what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life. Also, he cannot be my disciples. Happy resurrection. So <laughs> now, now, when we read this, what is the first thing all of we, we all think? That's not what he really meant. And, and I understand, understand why we would say that, because we do not want to hate our family members. But you know what the, the preface here that we need to really understand is, do you know when you read in Deuteronomy, there's part of the law in Deuteronomy, just to educate, I'll give you the reference just so you have it so you know I'm not making it up. But uh, Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 through 11, talks about if you have family members, literal family members, that try to pull you away into other, doc into other pagan religions and things like that, it says to stone them. How many people are thankful for the blood of Jesus? But here's the thing that I want you to see is why would Jesus say this statement? Because he was saying that you, when you give your life to the Lord, that no one you know or thing can have executive decision-making process in your life. Because who, whatever you love, you give your heart access to make, for them to make decisions for. And I heard a message a while ago. Some of you have heard this, but I love it. When we talked about it earlier, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, at the end of that, when Jesus overcame, what does it say at the very end? It says the enemy waited for a more opportune time to come back. If you read, it says the enemy waited for a more opportune time to come back. When does Jesus say, get behind me, Satan? To Peter, right? So since the devil couldn't convince him in his mind, he found somebody close to Jesus to get him to say yes to. And you see, this is what the devil tries to do in our lives, is that he tries to, 
If he can't get to you in your mind, he'll find a family member, he'll find a close friend, a neighbor or something to try to wedge your yes to him. The enemy is looking for these things. That's why we as a church and our families and your inner, that's why me and my house, we shall serve the Lord so that each one of us, he is our Lord. He is our Lord. And men in the room, when you lead your homes, when you lead your families, don't do it in a prideful way. Get Show your family you get on your face and that he's everything. And, and that we make decisions based off what the Lord is speaking. And then as a man, admit when you're wrong to your family. I missed God. Right? Repent before your family when if you get too angry. And then wives, being so supportive. You know, my wife helps me so much. I'm so thankful helping just upgird and things like that. But it's so important that once again with the body, that you pray for your husband, you pray for the leaders, you pray for things like that, and that your voice is, I'm telling you, that there's so much word that is coming forth from marriages that are surrendered to Jesus and families that are going after. Because I've done messages on this for the past couple years, the Lord really revealed that, did you know when God made man, he said he made male and female in his image. Do you know what that means? That marriage is the image of God. Not just a man. Marriage is the image of God. Why? Because God is a triune being, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Marriage, it's husband, wife, God. So marriage is the image of God. So why would the devil want to corrupt marriage so bad in the world? Because it distorts who God is. That's why this scripture is talking about using a word such as hate, because we have to be so surrendered individually to him so that when we come together in unity, it's only about him. Do you see that? It's powerful. So keep reading. And it says, 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We've been talking about this for weeks. If you've been around hearing me, but when Jesus said, take up your cross, he was not saying, you know, he wasn't saying, just take up your purpose and dreams and follow me and everything you want. It'll just be a magic little sugar land. I think the apostles, I think the apostles turn over in their graves in a lot of American culture messages. Just how sugar-coated it is. How no repentance, how, how there's no... Remember when Peter preached the first message in the book of Acts? He preached and he stood up. He didn't even have a message prepared. He just started preaching, saying, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. I don't even know if he knew that scripture that well, but it just came out of him. And after he was done preaching, it said that all the people listening were cut to the heart. It didn't say oh, can I sign up for your church? Wow, you guys got some really good stuff here. This is a really charismatic speaker. You guys got some. They were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we need to do? And he said, repent. Then you will have Jesus. You want to talk about some 
get back to the book of Acts. Because I'm telling you, we are about to see a harvest like never before. This, this thing going on right now, it might be holding people up in their houses just for a little bit longer. But guess what? The church is coming. We're here today. We you like seriously, like everything is everything is about just hit the fan in the best kind of way. It's going to hit the heavenly fan. But what is going to happen after that is worse things are on the way for this world. That's why we need to preach preparation messages, not just encouraging messages. Not and Because you know what prep is? It's encouraging. Because when I get prepped, I'm encouraged to know I'm ready. We need to hear this gospel in such a way. And going back to my point, when Jesus said, take up your cross, all those people knew that Jesus was saying, you know how people get executed in Roman empire? Take up your cross. So that 120 pound beam every day, you're going to pick it. And you know, we hear scriptures that says to daily take up your cross, right? What does that mean? What is, what is the cross? The cross is the epitome of persecution. So if you have to ask yourself, if you are required to Take your cross up daily. That means you're required to daily face persecution. We, a lot, and I want to say something because this is something on my heart. We are not prepared for persecution like we think we are. Because I'm not talking about just somebody putting a social media comment that says, you know, you're, you're, you're crazy or you're so off or, you know, you're this, you're that, you're inconsistent. I'm not talking about that. Persecution, daily persecution. The apostles would get put in prison, get taken out of prison. Get, Paul got stoned to death one time. They actually believed that he could have been stoned to death in the book of Acts. And a group of people got around him and prayed. He gets back up. The city that threw him out, the city that threw him out of the town and stoned him, Paul got up and walked right back into the city. <laughs> Paul, use wisdom, brother. They don't like you there. Try the other town. I'm pressing on to my high calling in Jesus Christ. I don't care what your, what your thoughts are. I've heard from him. He knocked me off a horse, bro. <laughs> he knocked me off a horse and I was blind. And then somebody anointed me, this, this guy named Ananias, and I felt the Holy Spirit come on me. And now I can't make any decision for myself. What are you talking about? Do you see that there's a price that we have to be ready to pay? And you have to ask yourself daily, am I willing to pay this price? There's going to come a time, and it could be that you have to ask yourself, am I willing to go to jail for this? Am I willing? What, like, what price am I willing to pay to stand before Jesus? Like, with with no and and I'm this is I I feel like sometimes this is just kind of like a a, a a phrase we throw out there. I'm not talking about condemnation. This is just talking about heart evaluation where you're at. The only way it becomes condemnation is if you reject truth. Truth sets you free. So even when we say don't be condemned by what we're really saying is you may not be receiving it the way it's the way it's presented because when you receive truth you become free no matter how. No matter how harsh the word is. And I'm saying all this to us because I I love Jesus so much and I, I want to see us rise up, an army rise up for him. Amen. So just a few, few more, and then I just want to worship him. 
a little more as we are, but when you go to verse 28, it says this, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Were we, were a lot of us told this when we got born again? Hey, before you give your life to Jesus, make sure you count the cost. Count the cost? What does that mean? I thought, I thought we get a bunch of freebies and that everything's good and I, my house is paid for, cars paid for. Do you see what I'm saying? Count the cost. I thought that that's not what I heard. Count the cost. But why would it say to count the cost before? Because it goes on to say, lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish. What is Jesus talking about right now? You want to talk about scriptures that are a little sobering. Maybe you don't read in context. He's talking about taking your cross. And then he says, make sure you count the cost. Because if you lay a foundation and you're not able to finish. What are we all called to do to finish our race? Counting the cost. And if we're building something, who's the cornerstone? Jesus. So if you don't count the cost, is he even the cornerstone? So what are you building on? Are you building on the Jesus of the gospel? Are you building on the great I am Jesus? Or are you building on an American preach Jesus? This is things we got to ask ourselves. Amen. And, I, and I'm not, this is just so, the reason is, is we have to understand that as ministers, we have to give an account one day. Did we preach this word or did we just build an organization? Did we just build followers on social media that listen to little things that we say, little devotions, little things like that? We're coming to the end and it, 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 may, it may be 10 years, it may be 20 years, it may be a few weeks. He may, it may even tarry, but that does not change the mission. We shouldn't, and I want to even remind you that just because we hear he's coming back soon, it should, it should never change the severity of following Jesus. Whether it's one second to midnight or we got hours, he's worth every second. Amen. Hallelujah. So count the cost. And then it says, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, and this is, this is talking about, you have to understand that disciples represent Jesus, right? So we're representing him, so we want to finish. Did Jesus finish? Does everybody remember what we find in John? John told us, he said that Jesus finished. Do you know what it says, too, that's so powerful? I saw this the other day. I was reminded in my notes. You know, in the book of John, right before Jesus said it is finished, do you know what Jesus decided to, to, to partake of right before he said it is finished? Is they put a sponge up to his mouth, and it had sour wine. Isn't it amazing that with his last breath that is finished, he took the old wine with him to the grave to bring us the new wine of resurrection? Isn't that so powerful? And then... 31, or what king going to make war? Now, check this out. So first, Jesus is talking about a cr carrying your cross. Make sure you count the cost. Now he's talking about war. Would anybody think that Jesus is not just telling a nice little, you know, Sunday school story for everybody? Count the cost. Like a business, like you're a huge business. Or consider this, Jesus says, or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. 
Then he goes on to say, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, everyone say forsake all, that he can has cannot be my disciple. Well, this is what he's really saying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, read this out, count the cost, and then treat it as if you were about to go to war when you get born again. If you're about to give your life to the Lord, realize that if you don't understand what you are signing up for, that you are outnumbered, that the devil and the world will eat your lunch over and over again, over and over again. Amen? So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that cannot be my disciples. So this is where I want to go and close. You guys, you guys get something out of today? I said Sodom and Gomorrah, so this is where I want to go with this. And Right after Jesus says these things about war and says all these things. Actually, can I give you one scripture that you write down? 2 Timothy 3.12. Can you write that down? I do want to read that one scripture. Does somebody have it like right away? So this is the King James Version that says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So uh, this is what he really meant. No. <laughs> Can you make it any clearer than that? So, Let's get ready for persecution, but we're not, here's the thing is, we're not trying to make people angry to be persecuted. This word alone is offensive. So don't ever let the way you present it be offensive. Let the word do the offending. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to yell at people and say, this is what God's written. Just let the word do it. You present it in love. Let the tone be love and the content truth. Amen. So this is the last thing. Right after Jesus says all that, he says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land or for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When I was reading this passage, if everyone could turn to Genesis 19, and this is the last place I want to go. When we get to uh, verse 12, when we were reading that passage, what did it talk about right at the end? When Jesus is talking about counting the cost and about war, he says, if salt loses its flavor. And the Lord immediately told me to go to Genesis. Because if you're not familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife, and Lot was a nephew of Abraham, Lot's wife becomes a pillar of salt in a moment. Time And I want to read one thing that is so powerful that for all of us to see that the Lord revealed to me when I happen to go back here. And I really believe this is this was revolutional for my heart to see because I hadn't saw it this way before. But um, what I would like to do is I want to start at verse 12 and I want to read this story. Does everybody know that Sodom and Gomorrah is part of the Bible? Would everybody agree with that? Did everybody know that Jesus even quoted about Sodom and Gomorrah in his ministry, saying that towns that he ministered at that didn't receive him, it would be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you see that? 
So Sodom and Gomorrah is kind of a big deal. And to not talk about it would be a mistake. And there's truth and God's mercy and love is found in this story. And that's what I want you to see today. That in verse 12, it says, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because of the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Why is there an outcry? Did you see how there's an outcry before me, God saying? Do you know when, when Cain killed Abel? What did God say? I hear his blood crying out to me. So what is God really upset about with Sodom and Gomorrah? There's much death, much blood being, you know, there's so much going on. And you, you and I want to be real with y'all. Sometimes you have to really ask yourself even about America. Do you know America is built on blood? Do you know how many wars and things have been happening just so we could say we have a constitution? His blood was spilled for the highest right you need, the highest thing you need. That no, no matter where you're at, that, that's the thing is that we have to understand in America, we do have a great privilege and we have an opportunity. But would we say that God's word is restricted anywhere if a believer truly believes everything in the Bible? That's, we got to ask ourselves these questions. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I want to ask myself that. I, I'm, I need the answer more for my, my own self. But uh, the Lord is sent to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up and get out of this place. So, um, and just to put context to this, just so if you're not familiar with Simon Gomorrah, just really quickly, Abraham, who's a righteous man of God, very familiar, he cried, he, he knew his nephew lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and God told Abraham, I'm going to destroy this city. But Abra God said, I won't destroy the city until I talk to him. Does anybody believe that since there's righteous people on this earth, that God's not going to throw out destructive things until he talks with his body, that the Holy Spirit is actually his job is to remind us and tell us of things to come. So the only reason we're unprepared is because we're not intimate. The only reason we're unprepared is because we're not intimate. He tells us all things. So as you continue to read, Abraham cried out for this city, and now God's going to show mercy on it by sending a, sending angelic messengers is anybody thankful that god right can send angelic messengers to your unsaved loved ones that are living for the world that they're sending like we need to thank the lord for this do we believe in angels do we believe in the holy spirit do we believe that the spirit of god can still fall in a meeting and people that don't even understand what's going on can start speaking in tongues do we believe that people can get out of wheelchairs in a meeting do we believe that the dead are still going to be raised by our we're going to see it with our own eyes how do you see the dead get raised you got to pray for somebody that's dead you you can't just talk about it. We got to start seeing things happen. When you see an accident on the side of the road, maybe jump out of your vehicle and just say, can I pray with somebody right now? Or don't even ask. Just go and you know what I'm saying? Like, look, look for problems and let Jesus be shine so big. He's big in your character. Amen. You know, the changes you make, but find opportunity to show people that 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 tomb is empty. You know why it's empty? Because he's in me. He's in me. Amen. So the city's being, and I want to get to this because it's too good not to. So then, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons. So they heard from these messengers. They're trying to get out of the city, had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. So Lot believes the report. Are you thankful that some of your family members are going to believe the report? That it's good. they're going to hear it. They're going to get serious about some things. 
And sometimes it takes destruction. But I want to show you something. But to his sons-in-law, they seem, he seemed to be joking. Does that sound familiar? It's not for real. It's just, you know, we still got, you know, it's just a joke. It's just this. Well, just a uh, uh, spoiler alert. They don't make it. So be watchful with your joking. So finally, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. Everybody say, Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Everybody say, don't look behind you. Nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Does that sound like a warning? Does that sound like, you know, you just want to start making better decisions so you don't fall in? A... You will be destroyed. Satan has, is the thief, and he's come to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Does any of that sound great to you? Does any of that sound like we should just be like, you know, if you don't do that, you know, the devil, he might steal a couple of things. You know, we, we, how many people don't want the enemy stealing anything more from you? How, do you understand that Jesus paid the price, and when he grabbed those keys, hand them over. You've been stealing from my children. You've been stealing from my bride. And we have to understand that we got to take authority and the authority he's given us. So when we keep reading, verse 18, and Lot said to them, please know my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased in your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and die. See now, this city is near enough to flee, and it is a little one. Please let me escape. There is not a little one, and my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Everybody, is, do you hear this? That God honored Abraham. So much that the city was not destroyed until Lot and his family were perfectly, they were evacuated. How many people are thankful the Lord is patient? He didn't even give them a timeline. He just said, until they escape. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Because there's still people that we need to minister to. Open your mouth and preach this gospel with, and preach it with such conviction that you love him. Not that you're trying to change people, but he's changed you so much that you can't shut up. Amen? So, what it says, Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor, which means small. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone fire and on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Can you imagine this? This whole city fire, brimstone falling on the heavens. Did you know in Revelation, it actually says that the angels rejoice because of the judgment of God. The angels rejoice because of the judgment. That seems harsh, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's Bible because God's judgment is perfect and it's holy. We don't, I, I, we don't understand all these things yet, but the spirit inside of us can teach us and we have the mind of Christ, a mind that's not afraid of death because it's already overcome it. 
And it says, so he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But here's the thing. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So even though she was delivered, even though she was saved, she looked back, became an example. But here's the thing I want you to catch. And this is where we're closing. Keep reading. I didn't see this until recently because of the terminology. So what did Lot's wife do? She looked what? She looked back. She was told what? Not to look back. And what was it? You will be destroyed. Does that sound pretty plain forward? Did it sound like God was being unfair? Was the warning very clear? Do not look back or you will be destroyed. It's not, there was no gray area because God's a just God, so it's very fair. Believe in Jesus or don't. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. Is God making it clear? I'm just making sure. There's not gray area here. Abraham went early in the morning to a place where he had stood before the Lord. Everybody say, he looked toward. He looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and saw and behold the smoke of the land, which went up like a smoke, like a furnace. So let me, this is what, just listen to this. And we actually, we'll just sing a cappella at the end. I just feel we'll just, we'll just go. But Lot's wife looked back and was destroyed because of looking at what? Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. Abraham looked toward the destruction and nothing happened to him. Did you ever see that before? Lot's wife was told not to look back. She's destroyed. Abraham looks at the destruction because there's one truth, but two narratives. The one truth was Abraham saw the mercy of God in judgment. Abraham saw his family saved because of judgment. Abraham saw the word of the Lord confirmed because of judgment. But another person only saw the devastation of judgment. But God's judgment is perfect and holy. It's just a matter, you're either looking toward it because you're born again and you know it's coming or you're looking back and you are going to be destroyed by it. Do you see that? What a word of the Lord. That the And you know what's one last small detail there that's powerful is it said that in verse 27, it said that Abraham went in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And in the chapter before when God and Abraham were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, it was like Abraham was standing in his secret place where he stands with God. And when he saw judgment, he just saw the mercy and power of God. Whereas another fell victim to the judgment, but they had a fair chance to escape. But they decided to be their own Lord and they overruled the word. I'm here to tell you church, body, that we need to be so prepared and we need, to, we need to preach the gospel in such a way. Is God a loving father? Yes, I just told you he is through Sodom and Gomorrah. The way people try to make it seem like, why would God do this? Why would God do this? The reason anything happens is because you didn't do what he said. Did you, you, do you know how many times like with parents and things like that? Why did your child do that? Why did your child do that? A lot of times they say they didn't listen to me. So what happens? Does the, do we crucify the parent or does the child just need to be corrected? 
Does the child? But the thing is, you you get what I'm saying. That sometimes we get so construed in these arguments. But you understand, he said, "Don't look back." We look toward, and God's judgment is beautiful. I know it's hard to understand, but it's a beautiful thing. And I think the one scripture when it was talking about when we understand that the Bible tells us in Revelation 12:11 that we overcome the wicked one by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and we didn't love our lives as our own. Do you see, that's the big, I, did you ever notice when people quote that scripture, they leave that last part out? We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. That's not how it ends. And the book of Revelation is actually very specific. Don't you take away one word <laughs> at the very end. And isn't it funny how the devil gets us to quote that because he knows that if you love your own life, that his word and his blood have no power in your life. Talk about sobering. The best part of that scripture is your part. Stop loving yourself. He's Lord. Amen. And it actually says in Revelation 19, you know, when we hear that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies, loving our own lives is not our own. Do you know in Revelation 19, you know what it says every believer's testimony is? Jesus is our testimony. It's not what God just delivered you from. It wasn't, it wasn't just your chaotic past that he delivered you out of. Your testimony is actually Jesus. The greatest part of your testimony is you're not going to hell. You have a relationship with the eternal God. You can talk to him at any moment. No drug addiction. No even past uh, you know, sexual sin. Whatever it would be, actually, no deliverance is greater than the deliverance from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Father, we just thank you for your word that went forward on this resurrection day that we celebrate, Lord. But, Lord, we celebrate you every day. We celebrate you every day, and we mean that, Lord, that, Father, I thank you that right now that the word, I just thank you that it was can. It brought conviction to people's lives this morning that that families, individuals this morning, that they could they can take this inventory and say, God, I want you to be my everything. And and if we could all be vulnerable and say it, that some days I re we really do allow other things to become more than they should be. We allow things to take certain places in our life that should not be. And Lord, teach us to be a people that our lives just scream, fully surrender, scream, I love you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you would give us wisdom and instill in us an eternal yes to you. Father, I thank you that this morning as the word went forth, that Lord, I thank you that an anointing is falling on this latter church, this latter day body. And there is such an anointing to preach repentance there is such an anointing to preach the full gospel without holding back and to do it in such love for the people that we are ministering to. Father, I thank you that you would convict us that every word we hold back from truth is just a slap in an unbeliever's face. That, Lord, that we would feel the need to preach the things and say the things that we didn't want to say but that we would say it by the Spirit of God. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you for the resurrection power, that you gave us resurrection power so that we could live life to the fullest. And not only could we live life to the fullest, but until it overflows, the only reason something would need to overflow is because somebody else needs it.
Lord, make us crazy and radical, overflowing with your love and power. Lord, I thank you that going forward, that when we lay hands on people, we would lay hands and that people would be healed by the faith that we have in you, regardless of where they're at, Lord. Father, I thank you that we would start being a church that doesn't find, that doesn't try to discover more reasons why we need to explain why things happen, but be a church that makes the gospel happen everywhere we go, Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you go before us, you're next to us, you're behind us, you're everywhere, you're omnipresent. We thank you that your presence is here because you're welcomed. We thank you that as we go forward, your presence is with us. So we thank you. We thank you in all things that we can rejoice and all things we are thankful and glad because you are with us. You are with us, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you are with us and we thank you, Jesus, you are with us. We thank you in the peace and the stillness and the quietness. You are with us. We thank you. We thank you that we can hear your voice more clearer than anything we ever had before. We thank you that this time, this waiting period, that we hear you so closely because you're right there next to us. You're whispering to us. You're encouraging us. You're bringing love and correction. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you that we are selective with our words, with our responses. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the greatest example for us and that we would live our lives completely surrendered to you. We thank you. We thank you that love is what ultimately pours out of us. We thank you that you're perfect love, that there's no rebuttal to love, that there's change in love that there's freedom in love. So we thank you. We thank you that we are selective with our words and our actions only point to you. Everything that we do would point to you, would lead to you. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for our family as we go forward in this time. We thank you that our lives whether when we if we were to say things if we weren't to say things we thank you that it's it's your love it's your leading it's your guiding it's your direction we thank you father that you've called us to the reconciliation of families father so we thank you in this time in the stillness that people can still see you that you are more clearer than ever so we thank you father we thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us and guiding us into what to say, what to not say, when to go, when to when to stay, when to run. We thank you. We just glorify you. We thank you that a song would just continue to come forth from our hearts with thanksgiving and gladness, Father. We just praise you. We thank you, Jesus, for the deutimous power that raised you from the grave. And we thank you that that lives within us. So there's no fear. And we glorify you. We thank you for the rest of this day, God. We just praise you. We thank you. We rejoice in this day, Father. And we give you all the glory and praise. And we just love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.